0: hey friends today we have Kibby McMahon she is a PhD in psychology. Currently she is doing her internship in clinical psychology at New York Presbyterian Cornell. She recently moved to New York and we met to talk about life and psychology and a lot of cool stuff we we began deep like we would start talking about love. And then we switched to talking a little bit about the different methods through which therapists do psychotherapy and then we started talking about our lives and how we became who we are and what struggles we had and in what way those struggles made us stronger why we chose the careers that we chose we talk about what we inherit from our parents in terms of psychological traits and the good things and the bad things about it and then the cool things about it and the interesting things about it it's a fun conversation and i know you're gonna enjoy it so have fun it's the christian beer show Okay. Let's, I, I don't good. know. I
1: don't know what you want to talk about. I just, I, I have no idea what this podcast is. I, oh my god, you're recording now. Now I'm gonna get a little nervous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So it there's no specific goal to talk about in in this podcast. It's it's a conversation between you and me, and we're gonna talk about you. We're gonna talk maybe a little bit less about me because I'm more interested in you. But you can ask questions about me, and specifically right now what i wanted to talk about is what you just were saying that love is always going to be there so tell, tell me a little bit more about that
1: sure do you want me to talk about the how i came to that realization not or?
0: necessarily not necessarily but you can tell me what like what that what that realization was
1: sure i mean i think that um do you want me to introduce myself or are you just kind of <laughs> like we're just going to jump into the conversation?
0: You know, sounds like you want to introduce yourself. I I want no. do it, but but you can do I
1: don't know what the format is. You just
0: <laughs> There's no rules. There's no rules. Kibi This is Kibbe. <laughs> He's she's a PhD in psychology that we met at Duke a few years ago and she's now she's following me here in New York. Now now you're a New York Presbyterian, is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm doing my uh, internship at uh Wellcome Health Presbyterian. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And where are you working in in your internship? So internship's clinical work, is that right?
1: Yeah, it's mostly the clinical year. It's one year of doing like as much clinical work as possible. And I came here mostly for work with personality disorders um, and to learn like transference-focused psychotherapy, learn about like the self and identity and connection and things like that. Things I liked at Duke as well, but they have a different approach here. They're more psychodynamic and just a different way of thinking about it.
0: I see a lot of faces that you're making when you when you, when you say psychodynamic. What, what is
1: that about? Oh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> look at you, babe. <laughs> no, I think I just like that. Um, I know it's just different than, you know, my very CBT background, our CBT background, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but I really like it because it does give a little bit more... Um, emphasis on how, how someone grows up and how someone learns over time, like what is love and what is family and what is, who am I? So I think I I like the, all those questions and tackling that in therapy. And so they, I like, I like that approach. So.
0: I like it too. I, I actually did psychodynamic training for three years, since my second year residency until my f- the end of my fourth year residency. Huh. I Duke? Was- I do, they yeah. A, huh. They do. They have an elective for us. And I loved it. I was seeing uh, patients twice a week. And and it's kind of a different animal. It is a different animal when you see them twice a week compared to once a week. I And at the same time, I had to do my own psychodynamic psychotherapy that was also twice a week. So it cool. becomes, it becomes this weird thing where everything surrounds like you're, you're really attentive into the way that you're perceiving reality and you're like, why am I perceiving it this way? And then you're trying to find your blind spots and then like, and then you're trying to find your patient's blind spot and it becomes this like really acute way of seeing your psyche that is almost incredibly exhausting, but super interesting at the same time. I really liked it. I, I really did like it. And and I also like CBT. I think that they're, they're both really useful. And integrating them both is like, I would I would think even more useful. I think that they can be synergistic.
1: Yeah, I think I tended to do that anyway, even when I went into CBT. I think I love that part of it, that kind of like really like finding your blind spots. And I like the intensity of relationship. Um, so like the, the two times a week kind of like, you know, really facilitates that. But yeah i think that sometimes pulling out and having like a model with cbt is helpful but sometimes just like opening it up and just seeing what emerges is also awesome so yeah i didn't realize you i didn't realize you could do that at duke that's amazing
0: yeah i really like so not a lot of people do it it's an elective that it's there Mm. and and i took it another person in in residency took it while i was taking it and i think nobody took it after I left. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> taking it now. I'm so. not
1: surprised that you are the one who took it.
0: <laughs> well, it's my jam. Like I, I, I thought for a while that I wanted to become a psychoanalyst. Mm. I really thought that I was going to go that way. And then I got kind of interested. Have you heard of this guy? Oh, I just forgot his name. He wrote a book called the way of the psychonaut Stanislav Grof. Have you heard of him? Mm -mm. Okay, so this dude's a psychoanalyst and he transitioned from psychoanalysis into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy research And, and he's like 90 years old right now. He's still alive. He's around. He just made a book called The Way of the Psychonaut. He wrote a book and then he also made a movie, I think, with the same name. I haven't seen the movie, but I did read the book and I like it because at the beginning, he talks about uh, the major psychoanalytic theories depending on the person who wrote them. And it's a, it's a good, nice summary. And then, and then he has his own theory of how we perceive reality and why we perceive it that way. And it's very tied to psychedelics and it's very non-necessarily traditional science, okay? So if you read it, you're going to be like, what? Yeah, but... Um he his premise is really cool and he talk, and I love that premise because he talks about the way that we do science. Right now we create a bunch of clinical trials and then and then in these trials we try to make sure that all these conditions are controlled and then there's this one variable that we can change so that we make sure that if by that changing of the variable a different outcome will occur we try to eliminate the the possibility of chance being involved in this thing from happening. But this guy takes a step back and says, well, everything that you're doing comes really from a paradigm of the way that you perceive how the world works. And you're really testing that paradigm to in different aspects, and that's great because paradigms are a good way to live. And then what will happen, and it will happen every single time, is that at some point you're starting to test the paradigm so much, and and so wildly that you will encounter yourself with the edges of what that paradigm can't really explain, and then and then suddenly you will find like weird things, uh, and then he starts talking about things related to psychedelics, paranormal stuff, like a bunch of stuff, and and then he says and at some point that. That in itself would start to get replicated and replicated and replicated to the point where the paradigm that you're coming from doesn't really explain these outlier events that normally you can consider like pseudoscience or just like Mm -hmm. uh, spurious results. And and this is replicating itself so much that now you really have to take a step back and change the paradigm. And when you change the paradigm, that includes your prior paradigm and these new things. And then you start testing things differently. And that's this whole premise of the book. It's really interesting. I think you would that's be. It's
1: basically like a theory of learning, right? You basically create it, you have a hypothesis, a theory of how things work, you test it out, you like add to it, add to it, and eventually, like your schema is not going to fit like this new information that's like been hanging out there. And so you have to accommodate, right? You have to like open your schema so that it includes that and, and the old stuff. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. That's what he says. And then he says,
0: well, this is a lot of what I'm going to say is kind of like based on my experience treating patients and through like the decades that he did psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And then he came up with this theory. And this theory is it's kind of psychoanalytic to a point. Then he goes uh, even deeper and, and talks about this prenatal stages and and in and based on the prenatal stage that you were kinda of like stuck on, you will really interpret your reality. It's kind of out there, but it's kind of kind of interesting. And I don't know, I kinda of like the guy. I forget why I brought it up.
1: Send, send me that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Let's talk about it psychodynamic, psychoanalytic. Oh, and yeah, psychedelics, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hope that I'm able to do more research there. I, yeah, I yeah i'm dabbling on it but 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 a few things need to happen before i can fully dedicate myself to it Mm. so crossing fingers yeah but anyway too much about me so you're in new york now
1: yeah i am yeah i could talk you know if you want me i could (laughs) i could talk about the my trip (laughs) yeah sure i mean i think that this is going to be actually processing it for the first time out loud. So it's not going to make any sense. Um, So Uh I'll try to piece it together and try to understand how it's going to fit into my general schema. Maybe I don't, maybe I have to accommodate and make a new one. Um, I think, I think it's made me see things that I've like have known, but didn't like see, you know what I mean? Like, I think that, uh, especially now, like I've, I've, my, most of my research was on empathy and you know, thinking about like personality disorders. And what when I when I like per, about personality disorders is just like people who can't can feel like they're connected to others. They don't feel like loved by others in a way. Um, and that's just like all through grad school kind of just trying to think about what that means and why does someone feel disconnected? What does it mean to be connected? Um, and just watching with patience, like that's what they want ultimately, right? I think that that's my bias where like, Every one of my patients just like wants to be loved and wants to love. And that's, and if anything gets in the way of that, you know, their anxiety or their anger or whatever, you know, the self doubt, that's what, that's what they come in for therapy for. Mm-hmm. And and maybe because people know that I like that people, they were sending patients who tend to be in that's But like, I was like, oh, like everyone, it's really about just like wanting to connect to others. That's it. Um mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I was just thinking about attachment theory and like what does it mean to feel love? What does it mean to feel like loved? You know, what is what is that sensation? How do we know, you know? Those are all like my academic thoughts. So,
0: how do you know how it feels to be loved?
1: That that right there. I was like that is a whole research area, right? I mean, think about it. It's like you know, all these people want to feel love. They're like, oh, you know, I don't want to be—I don't want to be rejected. I want to, you know, I want a boyfriend. I want to have a friend. I want to feel connected. And it's like, what does that even mean, right? It's like people have this like internal, like this gut sense of that. But they, even when you in CBT or something like that, we're trying to have like actual behaviorally objective um, goals. You know, they're like, I want a friend who I can talk to. But like, is that it? You know, it's, I, so. It's an open question that I'm trying to explore.
0: You know, it's funny because what I was thinking is that there are things that you know. And, and when you when we talk about knowing, we, we, we talk about logic and the mind and like uh, discernment and teasing now different little aspects of a big whole. But when you're talking about love, can you know love? Like, I don't know that you can.
1: Can you? I mean, I think that's what the, what jobs of scientists try to do, right? They try to take the unknowable and make them knowable. Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that your research is gonna fail ultimately. It might. I'm, I'm just saying that in my mind, when you when you when I think about love, is something that I feel, and 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 something that I do. But it's not something that I wait think about like it's not something that because i feel like the moment i think about love i i, I kind of like suppress it a little bit
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah like i'm acting from a, the love state and and that requires a degree of not thinking i've been really just in the moment and just like mm. saying the thing that comes in the moment and the moment that i'm thinking oh what is that goes away
1: yeah so you think of it as like a flow state as a, yes. like almost like oneness with the moment, like a mind, almost like mindfulness state, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think
1: that that was, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess that you could, that, that's a way to think about it. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And then you just, you just like defined it, right. As a, as a moment, it's a, it's a state of being where you just, there's no like pre-planning or conscious thought. It's just like spontane, spontaneity and spontaneous behavior.
0: I guess that you can talk and think about love. Okay. Got it.
1: Can uh, can we? Uh, uh, So anyway, so all these questions are are in my head. Like I still, mm -hmm. I still am thinking about, I think that when, um, last weekend I was with a bunch of friends and it was just like a lovely atmosphere and very calm and, um, which is very rare (laughs) around this time. Right. To feel like be surrounded by people and just relax and and be in the Mm. presence of people um and i really felt that over the pandemic like how much you're missing like even even like we're talking through zoom and we're getting some stuff but it would feel very different if we were in person right so i felt that so strongly during the pandemic felt so like icky to not have that like love exchange kind of thing um but i was with friends and uh i had some mushrooms and we all kind of did and then I just felt like I could just, that kind of, you know, the kind of aha moment, like it's just, you know, the thing that I felt, the thing that you feel like intrinsically in those moments, I like could see it. I was like, wow, look at, look at that. Look, at. I was just marveling at it in my own head. Like I was like on the couch, closing my eyes, but I could feel that very strongly. And then I just, I just had this realization that this, this is like the life energy, right? This is like always there it connects people, it connects, um, it's something that we return to all the time and we're seeking out and maybe we go away from it for a while to kind of almost feel like the distance, to feel the disconnect. And then we search for it and come back and, and that might take time. You know, it's not like, you know, you might you might be connected to it, to it more than others, more, um, more in different times in your life more than others. And I think another thing that I realized was that you can, an expression of love that i really was like resonating with was like looking back on all the people in my life and just marveling at their specialness is marveling at like oh my god my friend xyz like they they're so beautiful in their own way they're so special like they you know you know in my head watching them give me love and me give them love and express that and and then i you know with another friend another i just realized that like you know, this experience of love that I was reflecting on was just like this acknowledging and basking in that person's specialness. And it, you know, just, yeah. So I, I think, love you know, that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm like saying, I haven't said this all, out loud. So I, I'm like, is that right? Does that capture what I experienced? Like, I think so. I think that I'm working with some people with um, narcissistic personality disorder and, you know that you know, there's a lot of stigma around like, oh, they want to Feel special and better than everyone else. So like yeah, they want the stuff and want to be cooler than it. So, and then when they discover that they're so ashamed, right? There's a lot of like stigma around narcissism. But when you think about it, it's like if you really love someone, like are in love, or like the way a mother looks at their babies. It has this quality of like, oh my gosh, this is the only person in the world at this moment, and they're so special. And there's no one, you know, like there's this unique kind of love that people talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then these people who didn't have that crave it. And so it's just like, why didn't we just think of narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder as like someone who just like really wants to be loved? Like yeah. that's a very human thing that we just take for granted for. And you could just, you know, you might be able to explain it. Like I want to feel special, but yeah.
0: And then you could define it as like, I don't know, I'm going to say like deficit of love disorder and it would be like way less stigmatizing, right? And then in itself, like just by the name of it, you could, you know how to treat it. And I know what you mean. And I love the, the other thing that you said about like basking in the specialness of each person. That made me think about something I do. Which, uh, with my close friends, I, I sometimes like point out a little bit of like, hey, you could do a little, like, you, you can come running with me. We can do a little bit. We could drink a little bit less. We could, like, bah, 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 do all these things. But they have their own special personality as well that I could just appreciate instead of trying to, like, want to change this little thing.
1: You know? <laughs> right. And yeah. 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 I think and, it's also, I think it feels like this feeling. um, you know, it's funny because in research, we just operationalize empathy as just like the ability to read other people's emotions, to be like, you're feeling sad. Mm-hmm. But the way the li- my lived experience, like with patients or something or with anyone I care about or a person is like this holding space where you're sharing in that person's emotion. I, that is part of um, the definition of empathy. But like, it's just kind of like, you know, doing like holding this reality together and just really just being with that person in their, in their experience. Right. And that's part, that's, that's part of it. It's kind of like creating space to share love, to be like, Oh my gosh, you're feeling this, or you're doing this and yeah, I don't know. I got on a tangent, but.
0: (laughs) Well, there is no tangents Kivi because we're not talking about anything in particular so so we're gonna be talking about whatever it is that we talk about which but but in my mind it makes me like why did you choose psychology what what made you like do that among all the things that you could have done in your life like why did you choose to become a psychologist
1: i've written about this so many times and for some reason i'm coming up with a blank to like what is the real reason i mean i think the the simple answer is that my um, my mother and a lot of different family members I had struggle with alcoholism um, and emotion dysregulation and depression and all these different things. And I just powerfully saw what it was like for someone to not feel like they have a sense of belonging. They didn't feel loved um, and how the, that pain can ripple out to everyone around them like me or you know anyone um, my mom was close to. And I mean, I think that it just made me think about, I think the one thing that growing up in that environment made me do is you have to think for myself, like as a, my own individual, but also think for her, like, Oh, she's yelling at me. She's blaming me for something. I feel horrible. And also she must be scared. She must be hurt. This is how she, you know, to try to understand and like empathize with her as well as myself. And so Mm -hmm. I just always had that way of thinking about things and, Understanding that everything is a lens, like all of our psyches are kind of a lens that we see the world through and then we could see, we could look at the exact same thing very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that got me to uh, psychology research and then eventually um, what got me into clinical work was going to Thailand or training as a yoga teacher first and then going to Thailand to learn Thai massage and just being like totally immersed in the practice of learning how to like create space for someone. I mean, I didn't actually learn t- that much Thai massage. Like, I don't actually know, like, if it's someone was like, give me a tech, what is the technique? I'd be like, I don't know. But it's like the way, like my teacher there, um, <laughs> Master Pichette, who is this like 50 side, uh, at this point, he must be 60. He has like a little bowl cut. So he just mm. cuts his own hair. He has like t-shirts of Mickey mouse that his students. Um, <laughs> and, uh, right. he smokes in his, in his, uh, shrine. And he, he just teaches classes in like this, garage basically but his whole thing is like he taught us like to listen to body that's his whole thing he didn't speak that much english so he has these kind of like you literally
0: said listen to body
1: listen to body that's like you know if we were to ask a question like what do i how much pressure do i put like where do i put my hand he'd be like (laughs) listen to body um and so we're like what you know like what does that mean why don't you teach us the thing we paid off you know flew over here so um but what we're saying is like just like learning to listen like learning to just be there for somebody and create space and like really listen to them on on many different levels um so i think that experience led me to like oh i want to listen to people and help them that way how do i do how will i do that in in you know it the way that leverages my skills and i think that you know, psychotherapy was like i was like oh, no, i could do that
0: so or maybe it was a scam and listen to body was the best way to get away with it
1: it, it was definitely a scam yeah <laughs> it <was> just a <laughs> just a man in his garage
0: <laughs> but i i believe it i i do think that there is a connection between our, our body and our minds i i, I do feel um if i'm having loving feelings i feel something in my chest if i'm having like sometimes when i'm having guilt or or if i or, or if something that i feel like a a sort of loss i sometimes feel it in my belly um sometimes i feel weird feelings in my throat maybe i should go to the doctor i don't know but but sometimes it's related sometimes I feel that when I'm not saying the things that I want to say. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think there's something there for sure that maybe we just haven't explored that much.
1: Well, do you, I mean, don't you feel sometimes like that with when you see patients, when you see a patient that has like a, a big emotion or, or something like that we call it counter transference, but like, don't you feel like, Feel something you might even not know right away, but there's a like if you really listen to body, you could listen. I feel that way with a lot of trauma patients who don't recognize Mm -hmm. what they're feeling and they're very shut off, Mm -hmm. and they like they're like, oh no, I'm fine, and then I feel like, oh, this there's a I don't feel good or I feel sad, I don't know why, because they don't seem sad, and just this kind of like listen listen to body.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And and then you're filling it for them, and then you you kind of like try to bring it up to them. Hey, like maybe there's like this thing going on, or maybe there's that, that thing going on. Yeah. Okay. We get it. You're a psychologist. So, Kibby, <laughs> so tell me about your podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the podcast. Oh, that was so. The podcast is so fun. I di- I didn't think I'd ever do something like that because I really don't. I really feel weird about self-promotion. Like I feel oh, weird I about, you know, like getting out there. I think that's one of the barriers I have, but that's part of this field that if I want to get, if I want to explore messages and, and get ideas out, you know, that was, I knew that was some way I, like I, want to communicate my, my ideas and thoughts. Um, the podcast is mostly, you know, kind of in line with all that I care about. It's like helping people connect to others, um, through psychotherapy, through psychotherapy and when, especially if people are struggling with mental health issues. So my friend Jacqueline Trumbull and I, um, uh, she's, we're in the same lab, we're in Zach's lab. And um, I was doing my dissertation on how mindful breathing impacts empathy. Mm. And uh, the program that funded it also, you know, I, I proposed doing like a outreach portion of that and within the same with the same mission. And so, you know, that we created little help for our friends. Which um, is a podcast we wanted to make for people who have loved ones struggling with mental health issues. So, friends, family members, children, you know, like coworkers, or anyone who um, is really impacted by someone they're close to having a mental health issue. And I just, we really just think that's really important because it's, you know, we're so connected in ways that we don't understand and mental health is spoken about very individually like you have depression and how do we help you who has depression but it really affects like a whole system of people right and and i feel like people who tend to have like a loved one with mental health issues they don't recognize that it influences them right they're like so focused on helping that person or being angry with that person they don't think oh i'm 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 affected by it too So we wanted to have a podcast that, you know, just talks about different topics. Like we'll, we cover like a, an issue or a diagnosis or something, um, and speak about it. Like, you know, how do we, how how are we going to talk to people who have a loved one with this issue and what, like kind of explaining what the illness is or the, the issue is, um, tips to how to take care of themselves and how to deal with that person and manage the situation. So. Yeah. But it's been fun so far. We're, we this just, our first couple episodes and so far, nice. so good. People like it. And yeah. So
0: that's fun. And so this is not interview based. It's more like you guys talking about a specific topic.
1: Yeah, we, we will talk about a specific topic. We especially, I like to approach it as like, we're learning about it together. Cause especially mm. we're trainees. So, um, it, it's a really nice opportunity for us to like, kind of Dive into that topic, kind of learn from it, learn about the research, kind of tell people what we've learned. And also we have some, sometimes we'll have like interviews, we'll have interviews with people who have struggled with that thing or we'll interview, we interviewed um, our advisor, Zach, about
0: Oh, i love zach shout uh, out yeah,
1: to zach. yeah shout out to zach he was great he was our first interview and we all have expert in interviews like that of someone who is like has some uh professional expertise in like treating that thing or whatever and zach does you know we had him on a bpd episode borderline personality sort of episode yeah amazing yeah so we're kind of seeing it how seeing how it goes
0: no yeah. and you know i was thinking as you were talking in your uh, pot about your podcast and like different people and, and how their loved ones uh, have experienced trauma and and their experience of that. And, you know, I think I I could be wrong. I I, I don't actually know the data of this, but I do believe that if you're in a sort of healing profession, you must have had something like that happen to you to some extent, right? Like either to yourself or to a, a close, person enough that you will know mo- you, you would feel motivated enough that to make your life healing others right it's a way to know yourself and really know others to and help them feel a little bit better about themselves mm-hmm. that's what i think
1: yeah yeah remember you know noga right you...
0: uh, yeah of course i know yeah.
1: Noga. yeah yeah so she she had this whole concept that she kept teaching us it's called a wounded wounded healer and talking about like, yeah, the people who treat certain kind of traumas or conditions have, you know, maybe suffer from that on their in their own lives, and in, in in some ways, you know, there could be a stigma around that, right? Of like, oh, we should be super healthy, we should, you know, whatever, um, or does that get in the way of our ability to help others because we're not biased? But you know, I think seeing it being open about it and seeing that it could be a great strength because you really understand the situation from like multiple different aspects, right? You know, firsthand experience, you know, clinically, professional, academically. So I think that's a great way to like really know something.
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I think that in my specific case, like my mom has a, a, a trauma history. Like she, she had a, like a, a very traumatic episode when she, before I was born, and I feel like that translated a lot into my life and, and in the way that she was always kind of scared. And, and I do come from Ecuador, okay? You could get robbed in the street any day.
1: Right. right.
0: And so, like, uh, uh, there is a baseline level of paranoia in that country that, that is considered normal. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was a little bit more and I didn't quite understand it when I was a little kid and, and I grew a little bit frustrated when I was older, but then after a few years, I realized, oh, this is probably not normal. This is probably something happened to her. And, and I don't know that I consciously, I made the decision to, to go to psychiatry specifically for her, mm-hmm. but I definitely had this drive of trying to understand my mind and the mind of others. And I'm mm-hmm. sure it had to do something about it. I, I mean, I also wanted to be a musician. Uh, I, I, ju- I just don't know that I sing that well, you know? Like I, I think that, I, like if, if you have a few drinks and you listen to me sing, you're gonna like it for sure. But <laughs> if you're completely sober and, and attentive to what I'm doing, maybe not, maybe
1: not. <laughs> you gotta be in the right mindset. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> to really appreciate it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you do you see how that affected you in terms of like how you react to things or think about the world? Yeah.
0: Was- so when I was younger, I remember uh, like a little kid, a little, little kid, I must have been like eight years old or something. And I was walking. I lived in a gated community and I wanted to walk out because I think I wanted to rent a video game and I needed to cross the street. So I needed to leave the gated community. I needed to cross the street and, and rent a, a video game. And my parents, like nobody, I was eight. So people didn't want me doing that stuff. And I don't know, like I guess that you go, if you go to Denmark, there's like four-year-olds walking down the street alone, but it isn't. But here in New York, you have like 10 four-year-olds on a leash with, with, with a teacher. I've never seen such a thing, like I get it. I mean, this is, I guess the safe way to do it here, but I was so shocked that it was like little dogs, you know, like, like being uh-huh. like walked. It's kind of kind of <laughs> freaky. It was kind of freaky. Um, anyway, I was walking out from, from this, com- this gay community, and there was this dude entering the community. Like, there was a guy that lived there that just entered, which is unusual because people enter in their cars, but he was entering walking. And then I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I realized that I was afraid that he was a kidnapper or something. And, and he just, like, noticed... That I was scared of him and he found that hilarious. So he like pretended to be a kidnapper. <laughs> and i and like, i like try to scare me. And I, and I freaked the fuck out, I started running. And, and then it was fine, he just laughed and he was like, no dude, I'm your neighbor, what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you doing? And, and then I rented my video, came back, came back home. But at some point I realized that I was scared of the world for no reason mm. and, and then I realized oh it's not that it's no reason I'm scared of the world because my mom is scared of the world and she has taught me to be scared of the world through her behavior and since then I think I made a point to really fight that feeling and let's not fight it but more like embrace the, the biased um under like the biased model of the world that I had in my psyche and so in in some ways like I, I pushed myself to the to the uh, to, to to outside my comfort zone and and I would talk to strangers mo- more I would move into like countries that I knew nobody uh, in and and over time, over the period of years, I became like just le- less afraid. Like I, I don't like, I, of course I'm I'm gonna be a little bit afraid of, like every once in a while, like it, it's in there, you know? But, and I'm sometimes I may be a little bit distrustful, but I'm very aware of that being like a pre, uh, it's like this this thing that I don't necessarily should consider what's true.
1: Hmm. I mean, yeah. I was about to say that, you know, when, when you said, when you talked about how, you know, your mom taught you to be fearful, I was like, I don't see that in you, but I was like, D- does he like really, you know,
0: is right. he really good
1: at acting not fearful and actually he's like super anxious inside? I mean, it was, that was interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I guess that I, I, I noticed this very early on in my life. So, so it's like, I, I don't, it's not my main drive. Like it's not my main way to perceive the world anymore. Like it's not, but it was when I was young, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and th- that's that's the beauty of like psychotherapy and self improvement and looking at yourself and being introspective and meditating a lot. And I I mean this is one of the reasons, like meditating and several other activities. When when I was in Ecuador, I, I've talked about this in other episodes, but like you know. Uh, psychedelic uh, use uh, by shamans it's, it's legal it's some, something like alternative medicine so you can go to your shaman go to ayahuasca and like overcome like a specific issue that you're struggling with and i did some of that and it was very helpful mm-hmm. so and and then yeah like I, I think that i make sure and i still do to to try to find what it is that it's preventing me from being attuned to to reality Mm -hmm. and then and let's and let's try to 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 fix that a little bit
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i think that, that for for example um hallucinogens or even just like intense insight moments at least gives me the freedom of realizing that the way i saw the world wasn't wasn't real wasn't the only reality and that's the thing i don't believe that there's a, a one reality i could just i had moments of stepping back and being like whoa that's that's what my brain is doing whoa mm. like why, why? I, i'm not thinking that way now so it gives that kind of feeling of subjectivity where um it's like it it it's just so freeing cuz anything that you are suffering from or anything that you experience you're like this is just one of probably infinite amount of ways to experience it and it could be kind of overwhelming and scary because some people really identify with that like I think I identify with a lot of parts of a lot of I identify with a lot of like my intellect like almost kind of obsessive compulsive like intellectual side of me but then you know and then when you let go of it and see outside of it you're like oh no what if there's what if you know what if it's nothing right you question everything yeah so
0: you know something that I truly believe is true is that you see the world through 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 your emotional state that you're going through I I, I don't even want to say emotional state I want to say like your mind state so if you're on a very obsessive mindset yeah everything like the world's about to fall apart and you need to like make sure that you're in control of every single variable so that it doesn't. And then if you're in a very like chill mindset, everything's fine. Nobody's going to care if you die today. And then there's in your, if you're in a very like stimulated, confident mindset, you really can achieve whatever you want in your life and nothing looks like a barrier really it looks like an opportunity in disguise if you're in a depressed mind state no you can't there's nothing you can do in this world today if you're looking like in, if you're in love you're like loving everybody around you and what's funny is that depending on your mind state and the way that you see the world you act in the specific your your behavior makes sure to 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 tell you that what you're doing it's it's exactly right. So so it doesn't matter right like it does, if you're in an obsessive state and, and you need to control everything, you will find a way to give yourself positive feedback that you're right. So it's kind of like a trick. It's a trick that, that, that we're all that we could potentially be trapped in unless you you have that mindfulness capacity to take that step back and say no 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 I mean it's like thing. And then you crack a joke inside your mind, and you're laughing, and the whole world changes. And that's cool. That's yeah. I
1: think I think it's cool. Like you say, this in like DBT, that like emotions love themselves so like basically they do they motivate you to kind of act in ways that confirm it right or make this make the situation just in line with that emotion and it's kind of like how we tend to repeat patterns in our life we kind of do things over and over again to kind of confirm like oh i'm a horrible person no one likes me well we're gonna end up going into situations where no one's gonna like you right they're like acting in ways and and then perpetuating that like sad rejected emotion so yeah, it's weird how we do that. And then to be able to step back out of it and say, whoa, to just see that that's happening and mm-hmm. to have some agency over it. Right. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so what else is going on in your life, KB?
1: Oh, I mean, that's a main thing. That's a mean, I mean, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking about that a lot, you know, I'm try- trying to trace it into other parts of my life. Now, I just think it's interesting because I think that I, you know, I was just talking to my friend recently and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of friends about like when they're becoming mothers, right? We're kind of at the okay. age where everyone's becoming mothers. So, and, and one of my friends recently said that like time is not linear. She sees, as soon as she had a, her baby, um, she sees that time is actually like a spiral, right? She was like reading a lot about that and how we kind of, we constantly will like repeat these patterns and go over and, you know, like through generations and in your own daily life and stuff like that. And, and progress is really just like moving that spiral in a different, slightly different direction, but we're still making those circles. So I don't know, that's, that's what's going on in my life. Just pondering that, pondering that and love and all that stuff.
0: Wow. So you're saying that there's no way we can go up. (laughs) Yes,
1: that's exactly what I'm saying. That we're stuck, we're stuck in the same crap that we do every day, (laughs) and all our parents did, and for all of time. So, you're welcome.
0: That's so sad. (laughs) That's so sad. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, at least, at least we're aware of it, you know. (laughs) Well, but but
0: I don't believe in that. I, 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 I agree that that's one choice that you can make in your life. I, I do agree with that but I do think that and also what what when you, we're talking about progress let's just make sure that we're talking about the same thing what do you mean by progress and this spiral upward spiral of progress are you talking sure. style progress in I any mean, one what way what, what's progress gosh
1: I, you're, you're really getting to the edges of the things that I know and the things that I don't know um, I, I mean I think that instead of just if you're just thinking about it like parents and think of like generations where let's say your mom or our moms you know are struggling with their traumas for something that they pass it something down to us we might repeat some of that stuff right in our own behavior and then we might notice it and it's not like it goes away it's not like oh goodbye fear or goodbye you know whatever but we just like maybe like change it a little bit and then our kids will do like have elements of that and kind of repeat that and they'll change it in their own way right so it's just i think it's not just like a psh, like straight line it's just like we will just repeat things or repeat things and maybe we'll change it a little bit more each time
0: got it okay so i think that i agree with you and i, I think that we we're just talking about uh, that my, the my the way that i see it that is a little bit different is that it's a matter of speed in the sense that i agree we in in it's impossible not to inherit traits and behavioral patterns and traumas mm-hmm. from, from your family. It's impossible not to. That's just something that will happen to every single person on planet Earth. Now, I really like what this guy says, David Data. He's kind of like a, like a Tantra yoga teacher. And, but most yoga traditions talk about this, at least the more spiritually inclined ones. And, and and it's kind of like the first phase of your life is to really overcome the traumas that were given to you by your parents, and then maybe like by society. And then, then you start living your purpose, and then you like fulfill your purpose, and then after you've fulfilled your purpose, you're just like living in the moment. And-
1: What? <laughs> yeah, and then you okay. just- Okay, like yeah. one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. So I feel like that's a way to live too. And that's a little bit more intense, a little bit like, like unusual, I guess, even. But I, I also think that's a possible way to do it.
1: I don't think that's how I live my life. I think I, I think, no, I mean, I think that I had to live like my purpose first and then revisit like oh these are all the things that i inherited from my mom or you know like i you know they cut like you live you live i live my life and then i came back and i was like oh I'm, I'm my parents are coming out of me now especially like at this age um and then Maybe, i have to but, rethink but about it,
0: it. okay I, I see what you're saying but let me ask you something how do you know what your purpose is if if you're in the midst of being a slave to the patterns that you were born to
1: Oh, but you're, that, that then you're basically <laughs> saying, you're basically saying you only could live your purpose by not, li- by living outside of these patterns? Is that even no, possible?
0: No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, first of all, I'm not saying anything. We're, we're just brainstorming here. Second, I think that a way to see it is that part of the purpose is to like discover yourself beyond those patterns right like there are there are things that are going to be part of you forever and then there are some things that okay so what are these okay let's let's go more psychodynamic into this right like you're born into your house and you're born into a society that will praise certain aspects of you and will not like other aspects of your whole personality
1: Mm -hmm. that's just how it
0: works now, you're a little kid. You're two or three or whatever. And then when you do that thing that is not accepted and then they tell you, no, 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 Kibi, don't do it. Then, you like, in that moment, you don't understand that your parents are just casually saying you, no, you're like, you, you think you, you're you going to die, okay? Like, you, you will be thrown to the street and you will have to figure life out on your own. So, what do you do? You're like, no, 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 I, I'm going to die if I don't, if I keep behaving this particular pattern. So let's just like put it it's very deeply into my unconscious. Just like never, never do it again. And then suddenly you become this uh, clash of behaviors and ways of thinking that are what your parents and what your society and what your friends thought was nice and cool and great. And then there's these other aspects of you that you're repressing that are also part of you and are great parts of you. But you need to discover that too in order to discover yourself and in order to know who you are. That's all I'm saying. That's all yeah, I'm saying.
1: sure, sure. But okay. I mean, I could give an example of uh, how that played out in my life. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to illuminate anything. But um, <laughs> but as you were talking, I was thinking about me, of course. <laughs> um, but okay. So I think one thing, one one pattern that I've seen in, in my 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 family is that there's the, almost these two figures. There's this loving, I care about connection and family or whatever. And then there's the hard worker, the obsessive hard worker, almost narcissist. You know, you just call them narcissistic because they're just so withdrawn into their own world and their thoughts and their, um, to the detriment of, of their family. Like they're, they rather work than hang out with their family. So my grandmother was like that, you know, she's, mm-hmm. you know, she like, oh, she's like so focused on her work and she's a little obsessive. And that really hurt my mother who has the, I just want to connect. I want to talk. I want to, and she felt super rejected by, by this mother figure, right? Her mother. Um, and then she ended up marrying someone, my dad, who was also very obsessive and a workaholic, right? And and then gave birth to me, who, you know, I guess I guess I was like a dominant person. Like if you ask anyone, you know, Kibby's like obsessed with working and stuff like that. Mm. So I had these like, so. I was taught from my mom who got so, she was so depressed and so, you know, she divorced my dad and so depressed and angry at me, like took it out on me of like, whenever I would like focus on schoolwork and not focus on her, she'd get very upset and she would say, you're just like your dad, you know? And so like that kind of pattern play out. And in me, I had to reconcile like, Oh, am I like this heartless Workaholic or am I this loving person and I in my head. I just could not imagine that I am both I could not like I just I and still do this even though I'm talking about it and I sound like I resolved it like I'll be like, no, I'm this like evil, selfish workaholic or this, no, actually I love and I just want to love. And I think I integrated by (laughs) making psychotherapy and studying love and connection as, you know, a nice integration. But, you know, there are times where like that, that pattern, you know, it's that, that spiral that, you know, probably with my children and their children, there'll be like elements of these, of these patterns of like this dyad between the workaholic and the, and the, and the lover. So... I I that that I
0: mean, yeah, I like that diet. And, and it's like an interesting thing how the workaholic will look to be with the partner that is the lover. And the lover will look for, for this, part, this partner to be a workaholic. And, and, and what do you think that means, though? Right, like I think there's a workaholic between all of us, in, inside all of us. And I think there's a lover inside all of us, too. So like I don't know. I, I guess that a good way to integrate it, I, I have a similar situation going on in my life. I, I, I'm 100% a workaholic and I'm 100% a lover too. And, and and I think that, it. I don't know, I just like doing, I, I, I haven't thought about this that deeply, but I'm, but I'm gonna like process it as we speak. And I think that what I try to do is that when I work, I try to do the thing, that I do with love, right? Like it, like I do this podcast, this is a conversation, but it's also an act of love, right? It, it, like having fun, talking about whatever, but also what we're also doing is kind of like understanding each other, right? And understanding each other in such a way that may be useful for other people. And other people maybe in the environment, so, so the podcast, we haven't even talked about this. Okay, the podcast name is Thrive, and And the reason for it in my mind is that we surround ourselves with people that are akin to us all the time and 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 I feel like a a lot of the time in psychiatry i'm i 'm helping people cope and 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 there 's sometimes that i 'm helping people go from coping to thriving and I just feel like for some people that can oh they 're suffering so much and they 're so having such a difficult time that that it like enjoying their life to the fullest and what they're doing sounds like this impossible thing. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like having a conversation with somebody that is enjoying their life and like, we all have our struggles. Okay. We, we all have our things going on. And at the same time we, we can have fun and we can enjoy ourselves and we can look at each other and say, Hey, this is a great time. And then lovingly can listen to these conversations and kind of like, learn maybe intellectually but also learn in terms of like how we choose to behave when we when we behave because we're behaving all day long and then so that's one thing i try to do i try to be loving in in my work and and i guess i try to work in my love i don't know
1: yeah yeah i i hear you yeah Yeah, yeah. that's it well that's that's a great premise behind a podcast i think that's wonderful
0: yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I mean, we're we clearly have issues. Katie, you have issues. I That's have true. issues. That's true. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. I'm just a evil workaholic, <laughs> <laughs> I can't possibly be possibly give love to others. So I can overcompensate by doing by like, working too hard. <laughs>
0: yeah, but, th- th- but there you go. So so then one thing to do is to like release yourself from this inheritance right this is mm-hmm. we're, we're all talking about inheritance right now and yes we can see it from the perspective of this is a spiral that is very slowly going upward you're not going to see the end of it maybe like your great great grandchild will be better and will be free from these habits sure it's a very depressing way to see life in my opinion now what you could what you could say too is that, no, i don't know i could like look at myself i can like get heavy on like on, on meditation, I can get heavy on, on psychotherapy, I can like exercise, I, I can do the best I can and be mindful of the things I do. And maybe in the future, do, go do psychedelic assisted psychotherapy when, it's, when it becomes legal. And and maybe we'll find out that these yoga teachers are right. And then you can really just like release all this like inheritance that we have, we'll always have a seed of them, but we will not be slave to them. And then when that happens, then you're then you choose who you are. And then then that sounds like a cool thing too.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it, it's that it, we don't we don't have to talk about inheritance like it's a necessarily a bad thing because actually right. the thing is it, it connects you to your family, right? It can, like, it, what do we have if not? to share, to teach, to share reality together, right? Like when you have kids, like you are giving your reality to that kid. And yeah, it has flaws, right? Like, like of course yeah. my mom has sees it like, you know, like, oh, the lover and the worker are two different mutually exclusive things, right? And for me, that was like very damaging. (laughs) It's like, there's part, you know, that I had to defend against, whatever, I had to struggle Uh with that. But I mean, it just, it it passed down her experiences to me in a way. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we have after we die, right? we We can influence and pass down our realities to other people.
0: That's so true. We have good inheritance. I love the entrepreneurial spirit from my father. I love the kind of like a crazy humor from my mom. Uh, you know, there are good things that we're not talking about. We're talking about as if it was a burden and it isn't, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't. And, but everything is and it isn't an issue, right? It, it depends on what we want to look at. That's the cool, the cool thing about attention. You can only pay it, like full attention to one thing if you're real. Like you, you can multitask, like supposedly, Women can multitask better than men. I'm like really bad about it. Um, But what I do know is that I can pay attention to one thing. And if it's a good thing, I'm having a great time. If it's a bad thing, it's okay as long as I'm trying to fix it. Um,
1: Do you think that then men are better at mindfulness in that sense, if that's the case?
0: No, I never thought about it.
1: right like we never say that but we all but that's a common thing to be like oh women can multitask while men cannot they could only think of one thing at a time it's like then they'd be really good at mindfulness wouldn't they
0: well i i don't want to get into like a gender fight situation (laughs) here i i i disagree i think it's an individual thing i think that it's a matter of how you train your attention i i know several women that are really really way more focused than i am and I know many, many men that are very, very like dispersed, so i don 't know I, I like, sure like you can do an epidemiological study about it like but i'm, not, uh, I'm not i 'm not going to get like any...
1: out there <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so we 're close to the hour, and i 'm trying you know i 've been doing a lot of these uh, episodes, and sometimes when it 's a fun conversation like the one we're having it, it, it Becomes very long and it becomes like almost two hours and, and I like it and I have no problem with it, but I'm trying to stick to the hour for a few episodes and see what happens. See, like, see what the feedback is. Also, if I do that, I, I can just post once on Instagram instead of mm-hmm. twice and I'm lazy like that. Like I don't like <laughs> it. doing it twice. So maybe like, okay,
1: we'll keep it short. Let's keep let's it shorter. Keep- yeah. Is there anything, any, any burning question you have?
0: I have no questions to you. I had a no. great time talking with you. I, when was the last yeah. time I saw you? I, like it must have been in Durham somewhere.
1: Yeah, we probably saw each other in passing. I even inherited speaking speaking of inheritance. I inherited some of your patience. Oh, did you? Oh. I did. I did. Yeah. So it's it you nice. know funny that we were talking about this because yeah, they learned from you and you know Noga and people were like you have a similar style to Christian. And I was like, I do? And then, you know, they pass them on to me. So that's another point of connection. Um, yeah. But probably the last time was, oh my gosh, years ago. Years ago at this point, time. Time, time is a spiral.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a spiral. So you know what, I, we, we need to hang out. I'm gonna invite you to a, one of my hangout with my friends so you can meet them because we have a bunch of pe- very cool people here in New York. And we should- That'd speak. be
1: great. Yeah,
0: yeah, let's do that. and. And you should come again to the podcast in the future. I would and... love to. This was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> I hope
1: Thank... I give you what, what you needed. I was, you know, just I don't know if I said anything useful. So
0: <laughs> I, I feel like it was so useful. I think people are going to love it.
1: Okay, okay, okay. okay. Thank you. But yeah, I'd love to see you again. Yeah, I'd love to catch up again. So, yeah.
0: <laughs>